Hey guys, so I hope everybody had a chance to listen to part one of Lindsay's episode. Um, it was heavy. There was a lot that she unpacked there. Um, and I can't say the second one isn't as heavy. Um, there's still a lot of stuff that she talks about in the second part, conclusion. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy. So we stopped it when she gets to college. Um, and that's basically where we're going to pick up. Hey, Lindsay, thank you for coming back to finish your amazing journey and story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, it was definitely an interesting conversation last time. So I'm yeah, glad to be back. <laughs> again, went through every emotion um, as I was listening to you. So we left off with you going to college, failing your first class ever, and joining another gang or club. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a gang it's a sorority it's a, it's a sorority and we love sororities I'm also in a sorority which I love and hold dearly yeah um, so yeah so life was on the up and up in college so yeah we'll just pick up from here yeah so college um so you know my relationship with my family was still really tumultuous they did not support me being in college um, there was really in their eyes, no point for a woman to go to college because, you know, you're just going to marry a rich guy and have lots of babies and that was your lot in life. Um, but I wanted to be different, of course, and I rebelled against my family and became the first and only high school graduate. Um, and I was bound and determined to, um, be a college graduate and the first and only in my family of that as well. So I went to college and it was really hard for me. Um, I worked a lot. I had to support myself. I lived on my own. And I had three jobs at one point. And, you know, like I had mentioned, resentment for the kids who could just go to class and then go to parties and really experience the university life. Um, and I was really isolated. All I did was go to class and then go back to my dorm and study. That's all I did. And, you know, I failed my first class, which was just shattering for me. I'd never failed a class before. I was a schoolgirl. I was super smart. And in high school and middle school and all that, like I had always done really well. And that was the one thing that I could control. And I was super smart. Um, and so failing my first class, man, that just shook me to the core. And I just felt like a failure. And the one thing that was a consistent you know, part of my identity just kind of fell apart. Um, I was originally a vocal performance major. I sing. Um, I've always loved to sing and music was just, you know, a natural thing for me. Um, and I failed out of the music school. And that was just heartbreaking um, because I didn't know what else to do. So I did like every other college freshman and I decided to major in psychology. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's when I really discovered how fucked up I really was uh, <laughs> like no lie because um, I know every psychology major like self-diagnoses every time you analyzes yeah. yeah like every time you learn some new chapter or some new disorder like every psychology student's like man I have that and I totally did um, but I I really had a lot of those things. Um, I realized that my over-organization and my um, keen eye for detail uh, was obsessive-compulsive disorder. Um, I thought I was just really thorough 
and like super <laughs> organized and like really clean. Um, you know, and I didn't realize it until I looked back and, you know, locking my car three times and waking up in the middle of the night to shut off the stove, even if I didn't cook, like things like that. Um, I didn't realize that people had an issue with that. Um, you know, my books were all alphabetized and organized according to, you know, author and color and size. And my underwear was folded and my socks were folded in little smiley faces. Like it was, it's a thing. It's a real thing. Um, (laughs) um, you know, and so then I also realized that I had an eating disorder. Um, I knew about anorexia and I knew about bulimia and trust me, growing up in poverty and starving, I was not about to voluntarily starve myself. So I knew I wasn't anorexic um, and I didn't throw up because shit, I didn't like to throw up. So I knew I wasn't bulimic. But throughout the course of my childhood and enduring so much abuse and just wanting to escape all the time, I started to run. And I got to a point where I was running nine miles a day um, and Growing up in my grandparents' household, I was always getting mixed messages about food. Um, things like, do you really need to eat all that? Or, wow, eat? Like, why aren't you eating? Or my grandma's famous uh, mantra, a moment on the lips, forever on the hips. And so I was getting all of these mixed messages about food. And so, and my brother would call me fat all the time. And mind you, I'm like 85 pounds, like 85 pounds at this point, I'm tiny. I'm five foot. I weighed like 85 pounds, maybe. And I was running nine miles a day. And I was not really restricting my food, but just being very strategic about the food that I ate. Um, And then I started taking diet pills when I was in high school. And so when I got to college, and I studied eating disorders, I was like, holy shit. Apparently, I have that. (laughs) So I learned Yeah, I learned that I had exercise bulimia. I didn't realize that measuring my food and keeping a food journal and calculating how many miles I had to run to be in a 500 calorie deficit every day. uh, I didn't realize that that was a problem. Uh, (laughs) I just thought I was like super healthy and like super fit and I was super cute. Like I was tiny (laughs) and I got to wear all the cute clothes and people reinforce that, right? Right. Like, oh, you look so good. You have a great body. You're in great shape. So you're getting this reinforced. So it wasn't until I was studying eating disorders that I realized, oh, shit, like I have a problem. Um, So I discovered that in eating disorders. So that was pretty awesome. I discovered that I had OCD. I knew I had depression. I was like, well, duh, that's the only one I know for sure. (laughs) Like. Look at my fucking life. (laughs) You would be depressed too. (laughs) Um, I had a lot of anxiety. I had panic attacks. I mean, ever since I was in middle school, I had panic attacks almost every day. Um, I didn't really, obviously, I didn't know what they were. I just knew that, like, I couldn't breathe and I was hyperventilating and I would just, like, I would have breakdowns. Um, And a lot of that started to happen when I moved in with my grandparents and when I was in therapy over the many, 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 many years, um, one therapist, because I've gone through probably a dozen, um, mentioned to me that, you know, once I wasn't surviving, it was like my brain said, okay, now that you are safe, you can deal with all this shit. So here you go. 
And my body was the first to react. And that came out in, you know, panic attacks and depression. And, um, you know, so I was dealing with eating disorders and, and I was very depressed for a long time in throughout middle school and elementary school and high school. And I was suicidal. I, you know, did self-harming. I, you know, I went through a lot. I battled a lot of anxiety and depression. And, you know, I did attempt suicide multiple times throughout middle school and high school and even in my adult life. Um, So battling depression, you know, and all of those things kind of came to light when I started studying psychology and being, you know, obsessive compulsive. I just went down that rabbit hole and I just obsessively studied it. And I did fall in love with psychology And at one point I wanted to get my doctorate and I wanted to, you know, help clients and take on patients. Um, And I wanted to go that professional route, but, you know, just life kind of happened and decided that that wasn't the route for me. Um, But through college, that was really where I learned how fucked up I really was um, and how bad my life really had been. Because like I said, that was just my normal I didn't know that that wasn't the case for everybody. I didn't know that everybody didn't get beat up as a kid and that, you know, your family was supposed to support you. And I didn't have parents. I had my grandparents. And, you know, to give them some grace, they had already raised their kids. They did kind of a shitty job, you know, because look at my mom. Right. But they did raise their kids. And now they got dumped on with these four new kids that, you know, they didn't know what to do with. So to be fair, like they shouldn't have had to raise us. Um, But they could have been kinder. You know, my grandparents, I want to give them a little grace because, you know, they were doing the best that they could with the knowledge that they had. You know, they grew up, you know, my grandma grew up in an abusive home. My grandpa grew up in an abusive home. You know, that was just the cycle of abuse that our family had. Um, So they were doing what they could. They did the best they could. Um, It just their best wasn't that great. So going back to my college years, um, I really loved the sorority. It really shaped who I was and helped me discover who I wanted to be as far as, you know, the woman that I wanted to be. And I really tried throughout my college years to polish myself so that people couldn't tell who I used to be. I didn't want people to look at me and be able to tell that I came from the hood So when I started college, I really took that as my opportunity to be whoever I wanted to be. I was not going to be this ghetto ass chola hood rat anymore. I was going to be a respected college academic. And so that's really who I tried to be. Um, Now, don't get it twisted. Like the hood still came out sometimes, but. I just really wanted to be respected and I didn't want people to look at me and be like, oh, that's the poor girl or that's, you know, the gang member or like that's the hood rat or whatever. I didn't want people to look at me and be able to tell where I came from. So I worked really hard throughout my college years to get really educated, become really articulate, you know, really just develop myself. And I got a job at a bank. And I honestly, the training that I received and working my way up through management was just the greatest kickstart to my professional career that I could get. The only downside was that I worked so hard and was so stressed out at that job 
that I literally was put in the hospital. Um, I got so stressed out that I went to the hospital and I ended up having to have surgery um, because they determined that I had bladder cancer. I was 24. Um, when I found that out, I went to several doctors and they all basically told me like, you have bladder cancer and you have to have surgery. Otherwise, you know, it can spread. And I was kind of of the thinking like, okay, let's cut this out. If you can cut out the cancer, great. If not, I'm not going to do all kinds of treatment and chemo and have my hair fall out and be miserable and be sick all the time. Like I'll just let shit take its course because y'all can, your science can only go so far, you know, I'll just let God do his job. Um, and I just, I was kind of cocky in the sense that like, I felt like I had been through so much shit in my life that there was no way cancer was going to take me out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, (laughs) It took me a minute to get to that mindset because the first reaction I had was like, really? And this? Right. <laughs> I was like, can't, I, can't you be done with me? You yeah. know, they always say like things happen for a reason and trials and tribulations. They develop your character. And I remember talking to God and just saying, listen, I've met my I quota. Have, <laughs> I have reached my potential. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> Can you please work on somebody else for a minute? (laughs) And I do. I have real conversations like that with God. I've always like had a really strong faith and believed in prayer. But I talk to God like I talk to anybody else. I'm like, listen. Like he's your homie. (laughs) Like, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, (laughs) you know. And I'm like, listen, God. (laughs) And this was a real conversation I had with him. I'm like, listen, God, this whole cancer thing like really like the cherry on the pie. Okay. Like, can I be done for a minute, please focus on somebody else. So I had surgery. I was 24. I had surgery and they took the cancer out and it was, it was good. I'm great. Um, but I was really sick for a long time. They had me on a lot of different medications. Um, I'll share this story because it's worth it. Um, one of the stories, that was the most embarrassing moment of my life. One of them was they had me on a, a medication to stop the cancer from spreading before I had the surgery. Cause it was like six weeks before I could have the surgery and they were afraid of it spreading. And they put me on this drug. Um, I forget what it was. Cause I was on like a cocktail of drugs. Um, but one of the drugs I was on was Vicodin. Um, <laughs> and I learned that I was allergic to Vicodin. Oh my uh, God. In a great way. <laughs> I was um, on my lunch break at work from the bank and I was eating a delicious Subway sandwich in my car at the park and I had to fart really bad. <laughs> so I like lifted my cheek to fart in my car. You know, it's my private seat, you know, my car, whatever. I literally <laughs> shit myself. I was peeing out of my butt. Like it was so bad. (laughs) And that was the moment that I like was crying because I'm like, I'm 24 years old and I just shit my pants. (laughs) This cannot be my life. And I was just like, can I please be done? Like, can you just please? Can I just be done? Like that was the low point, obviously. 
Um, so I like drove home really fast. I called my boss Aww. and I told her, I told her what happened. She had cancer before and she had brain cancer. Yeah. And I had told her, I was like, Vettel, listen, um, I'm going to be late because I just shat myself. <laughs> and she was like, oh, Hita, it's okay. That Aww. happened to me too. <laughs> And I was like, oh, thank God, you know, because she had dealt with the same thing with her cancer. And I was like, okay. So I went home, you know, waddled into the house, threw my pants in the washing machine. I just jumped in the shower, like hosed myself off and then put new pants on, went back to the bank, you know, like went on with my life. So that's how I learned I was allergic to Vicodin. Um, So anyway, you know, the cancer really kind of woke me up and was like, okay, you know, cliche, this is my new lot in life. Um, but after I, um, got the surgery, I was in recovery and my manager at the bank was like, you know, we're really going to need you to come in this weekend. And I was like, uh, I'm still recovering from surgery. Like I literally am still attached to a catheter. Yeah. And you know what he said to me? He was like, well, don't they make portable catheters? What? Yeah. So that day I typed up my letter of resignation and I had it in my purse every single day at the bank, just waiting for the moment that he pissed me off. And so I got passed up for a promotion. And I, that day, then they told me I handed my letter of resignation. I was like, I'm out. So then I got a job as a secretary. Just, I just needed like a mental break. So I just got a job answering phones at some company. And I was like, I don't even care. Shit pays me like seven bucks an hour, whatever. Um, and I lived off my savings for a minute. Um, and my friend had taken me um, to Florida on a vacation the year before. And she was like, you know, you have to see Orlando. It's really fun. So we came to Orlando. We had a blast, right? While I was here in Orlando, I was like, you know what? I could live here. And so my friend, she was like, so do it. So after my surgery and all the cancer, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I need a new start. And so I told my friend Liz, I was like, you know, I think I think I want to move to Florida. So she picks she, we were in her kitchen. She goes and gets her grandma's calendar and she was like, pick a date. And so I randomly just like picked a date and I landed on November 1st. And I was like, all right, November 1st, I'm leaving. And at that point, that was like four months away. So I was like, shit, okay, I have to do it. I have four months to figure out how am I going to move to Florida. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell a single person except for her and my roommate that I was moving to Florida. And so I just started getting rid of all my shit. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive to Florida. I don't know anybody there. I don't have a job. I don't have a plan, but whatever. I'm just going. And so I didn't tell anybody I was leaving until the day before I told my family, I called my grandparents and I said, Hey, you know, we haven't had everybody over for a while. Let's get together on Sunday or over the weekend. They're like, sure, let's do that. My relationship was still pretty terrible with my family, but I was managing to go on Sundays once in a while to visit. So it didn't seem like out of the normal for me to call them um, and say that. So they're like, yeah, we'll have everybody over on Sunday. So we're all sitting around the table on Sunday having a meal. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking about moving to Florida. And of course, I knew I was going to get a rise out of them. 
They're like, oh, yeah, right. Like, what the fuck are you going to do in Florida? That was exactly what they said. My grandpa was like, how stupid are you? What are you going to do in Florida? That was like his famous catchphrase. How stupid are you? It's like, you don't really know how to answer that. Um, well, I didn't think I was stupid. <laughs> now, now I'm thinking I am. <laughs> You're like, I don't know really how to answer that. Um, so I expected it from him, you know, and he was like, well, how stupid are you? What are you going to do in Florida? They really hate Easterners. And the like, my grandparents will say that a lot. Be like, oh, those fucking Easterners. <laughs> um, so anyway, I was like, well, actually, I am moving to Florida and I'm leaving tomorrow and they're like what no you're not you're not gonna do that I'm like yeah look out the window my car's packed and I had a little Toyota Camry at that time and I literally packed that bitch full of stuff like you couldn't even roll down the window because it was like (laughs) packed even the passenger seat and so November 1st at midnight I left and it was a blizzard and it just was like cherry on the pie because I was like yeah this is even more like validation that I need to get the fuck out of Colorado because it's blizzarding right now. I'm moving to <laughs> Florida. So I drove three days. I drove myself to Florida. I stopped in Dallas for a night and I stopped in New Orleans for a night and I landed in Orlando. And I remember uh, calling my friend Liz. Her parents lived in Orlando and I had met them like once. And they said, oh, yeah, if you're ever in Orlando, look us up. So I, like, messaged <laughs> them on Facebook, okay? I messaged them on Facebook. And I'm like, hey, remember me? Remember you said that um, if I was ever in Orlando, I should look you up? Were y'all just being polite? <laughs> and uh, they're like, no. And I was like, well, because I'm coming into Orlando. I could really use a place to stay tonight. <laughs> and they let me live with them for a year. Wow. For free. Yeah. They are like the most incredible people. They are my adopted parents. Um, these two people, Bill and Deb, they they showed me like what parents are supposed to do for you and like love you and encourage you and have conversations with you and build your self-esteem and like encourage your dreams. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm not even friends with Liz anymore, but I'm still in contact with Bill and Deb I have dinner with them once a month because they're just amazing people and I love them like they're my family they took me into their family as if I was their kid yeah and they celebrated my birthday like I was one of their kids I was part of Christmas like I was one of their kids and at this point I'm like 25 years old you know I'm a grown person but I needed parents and I didn't get parents until I was 25 years old um so I landed in Florida and it was really hard. It was a really humbling experience because it took me two years to find a job. I had, you know, worked little odd jobs here and there, but it was really hard to get on my feet. And like every other week I was like, fuck this. I'm going home. I'm going home. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't make it here. It was hard to make it here. Um, Orlando is a tough city to make it um, on your own. It's expensive. The job market's tough. Um, and finally, I landed a job doing economic development for the state of Florida. And I loved it. I was really good at my job. I started in like a administra- uh, an administrative function. And then I moved into the marketing department. And then I moved into the business development department. And I got 
promoted a bunch and I loved it. I was really good at it. My job was to recruit IT companies to move to the state of Florida and I got all kinds of cool meetings. It got to be super political and I hated working for gross politics. So I left. I left the state um, actually in 2017 and or was it 2018? I think it was I don't know when it was. It was two years ago or a year ago that I left the state. Um, and honestly, it was the best decision because I got another job in economic development at one of the local colleges. And I liked I liked the job um, because it gave me the space to create my company, which is Serving Creative. And also in that time, I launched my blog, Truthitude. Um, and Truthitude is kind of my baby. I've been writing for years. Um, I started keeping a journal in 1997 when I was like 10 years old and I've been journaling my life ever since I literally have a chest full a wooden chest full of all my journals and I've documented my life for the past 20 some years and so I really wanted to reach out to women specifically who had endured the kinds of trauma and kinds of, um, you know, hardships that I had gone through and really drive home the message that you don't have to be a product of your environment. You don't have to, you know, fall into the stereotypes that people expect you to be. And you can lift yourself out of the gutter, um, even if people don't believe in you. I'm not a firm believer in the whole mantra, like, if I can do it, you can do it. Cause I, I don't believe in that. Like you really have to have people that support you and, and believe in you. Um, but truthitude has been my space to, you know, share my story and the lessons that I, and I think the biggest lesson that I've learned in my life, if it, if I had to narrow it down to just one is follow your own, own instincts and listen to your own voice first and literally just stop giving a fuck about what anybody thinks because nobody can ever walk in your shoes for you you are born alone and you will die alone and that's not to be like a a sad thing it's just that you know you have supporters and encouragers around you and people that give you advice and you know, you have people that love you and you also have doubters and people that will discourage you. But none of those people, lovers or haters, are ever going to walk your path for you. So you need to consult within first. Right. And literally, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks because nobody's ever going to walk in your shoes. And so the purpose of truthitude is just to help women really you know, cultivate their truth and get really fucking clear on their values and who they are so that they can live the lifestyle that they want and live the life that they want to design regardless of where they came from. And for me, that's just getting really clear on who you are and what your values are. Because when you know your values and your standards and your moral code, Whatever that may be, once you get very clear on that, 
you can decide what relationships to hold on to or to let go of, what jobs to take or not to take, what projects to do and what not to do, what goals are important to you or what you're really connected to. Um, And that just kind of becomes your driving force and it helps you, you know, determine what friendships are worth keeping and which ones are, you know, better let go of. Um, So Truthitude has just really been my passion project. um, And I'm hoping to make it this movement for women who have really gone through some shit because I know I'm not the only one. Um, And I know that like I've managed to pull myself out of the gutter and it took a lot of really hard work and a lot of mistakes. But, you know, I know that there are other women who are struggling to see past their survival screen. And I just want to open their eyes that there is more than just surviving. And you can pull yourself out of it and, and you can create your own tribe. You know, my family is shit. I'm not close to any of my family And I know that that's like the first place people go to for support, but sometimes your family is, they're not your people. Yeah. And that turned out to be my case, you know, and I dealt with a lot of guilt where people are like, oh, but that's your blood, that's your family, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? (laughs) All of the bad shit that happened to me in my life is because of those people. Yeah. So the blood that is binding us together, I'm sorry, like, that's not enough for me. That's not enough. And I know a lot of people will disagree with that. um, But you can create your own tribe. And that's what I've done. You know, my sorority sisters, my friends, those are my family. And, you know, it's been really fucking hard. And it's been really isolating, um, especially not having my family support me, especially in times of like really, really hard times, um, going through my cancer situation alone. I didn't tell them anything. I didn't tell them about my surgery. I didn't tell them anything. Um, you know, that was really hard to go through that alone, but even the great stuff, I'm the first person in my family to start a company. I'm the first person to graduate high school and college and they didn't want any part of it, you know? So all of these celebrating moments too, I didn't have my family around. So it's been really hard. I, you know, I'm the black sheep of my family because I have my shit together. Right. (laughs) And I've learned that I have to keep a safe distance. And unfortunately I wasn't able to mend my relationship with my grandparents until I moved to Florida. It wasn't until I moved all the way across the country that I was able to have a reconciliation with my grandma and you know I'm really thankful that I did because I lost my grandma this past February and it's been really hard and I'm the last of my matriarch I won't have kids I'm the only girl my mom's gone my grandma's gone my great grandma's gone and in my culture like your history is passed down through the women. And so I feel like it's my duty and my passion to be the historian of my family. But unfortunately, my family story is pretty fucked up, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's been hard to say goodbye to my grandma and, and to reconcile with her after the fact. And, you know, I had to reconcile with my mom after she passed and I didn't get a chance to do it while she was alive. Um, But, you know, I'm finally in a place where I truly love my life. I've 
you know, reconciled with a lot of the demons from my past and I'm embracing my story. And my hope is that in sharing my story, it helps someone realize that no matter their circumstances or their situation, all of the power that they need to change is already within themselves. And it starts with just getting clear on who you are and practicing self-acceptance and self-love. And that's honestly, that's the first step. And they can be whoever they want to be. And just knowing your self-worth. Exactly. And, you know, it took a long time to change that conversation with myself and that conversation of not enough and not worthy and, and really learning to be kinder to myself and to truly just love myself for who I am. And once I did that, yeah, I still have moments of depression. I still have moments of self-doubt, but that unconditional love is there for myself. And once you have that, there is no more freeing power than to just truly love yourself and accept yourself. And you are really capable of doing anything, absolutely anything, regardless of your circumstance. And I just encourage people to be curious and discover their authentic truth and just live it fearlessly and fuck anybody else and what they care because you're walking in your path and your journey is your own. And so you just have to live true. And, and that's the, the mantra is stay true to your truthitude, you know, get clear on who you are and what that truth is and just live it fearlessly. And that's kind of what I've been able to do. And, you know, I'm hoping that truthitude can help speed up the process for a lot of people. Cause I learned over the span of fuck 33 years. So I'm hoping maybe it only takes people like half that time Yeah, <laughs> by sharing this, you know, but it's hard. And I mean, that's, that's honestly what I can say is just, discover your truth, work really hard at being curious and being authentic and just live your life without fear. Yeah. And I think nobody's going to be the number one champion to your life than yourself. And I think in this case, you were your own best champion throughout your life, um, especially with, like you said, the people that are supposed to be there for you, love you, support you, encourage you. You didn't have that. And so- you know, you had them do the complete opposite and say, you're not going to do anything with yourself. Like you're, like you said, you're the black sheep for doing something that every other family for the most part would encourage their children to do. Um, And you brought yourself out of a real hellhole. And now you're living your best life and, Mm -hmm. you know, CEO and boss babe and all that jazz. Yeah. And it's amazing to, you know, like I said, in either my video or my intro, um, we've only met once, but I felt like we had that connection and I'm so glad that, you know, that trip happened and um, we got to know each other and, you know, you're always somebody that I think about and, and I am in such awe of um, just from all the stuff you have to deal with and you still, you know, have come out of it so much stronger and so positive and, you know, even though you have your moments of depression and self-doubt, you are still there to kind of motivate yourself and motivate others and the sweetest person ever. And I just love you so much. (laughs) Thank you. I love you too. And honestly, like, I'm just thankful and I'm just in awe. I know it sounds a little arrogant, but 
sometimes I am in awe of myself and, and the life that I've been able to create because of all the odds that were stacked against me. And I'm just thankful never in my life did I ever feel like one, I would live long enough to see 30 and two, that I would get the opportunity to take trips. You know, I never, that was never in my, you know, vision. I never thought that that would be available to me and I don't have this, you know, luxurious life or anything, but compared to what I used to live, like, I'm so thankful every day that I did go through a lot of this stuff because it really just helps me recognize the value of small things. And I'm thankful for everything in my life. Everything better. Yeah. I'm thankful for every time, you know, I get to go grocery shopping and my fridge is full of food. I'm thankful for, you know, my safe and comfortable home and I'm thankful for my dog and I'm thankful for, you know, the abundance that I have in my life and getting to take trips and, and work on things that are, that I'm passionate about because, you know, for a long time being in survival mode, you're just working and, and you don't necessarily get the luxury of working on things just for the passion of it and the fun of it, you know? So I'm really thankful for that. And I'm definitely thankful for the opportunity to share my story in such a cool way. Um, It's a little scary to put that all out there, but you know, my goal is to be truthful and authentic and just, if my story can help even just one person, then that is my biggest dream. And guys, I want you, I want you guys to all know that um, I really didn't edit anything out of these two segments maybe just a couple glitches here and there if I could um so what you heard was all raw all her um you know I was telling her during a quick pause that I went through every single emotion all over again um in the background like shaking my head and just crying a little bit and laughing as you heard um you know which I think is amazing in itself that you can just laugh at some of the stuff that happened to you um, now looking back at it, like what the hell happened? Like it, it sounds like I said in my intro, it sounds like a lifetime movie, like something that yeah. you would see in either like a, a season of Ray Donovan or, you know, like a crazy right. mafia gang banging, you know, <laughs> like American hustler type movie show. And it's, it's insane that you as one person went through this entire thing in just 33 years of life. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that I'm, I'm done Done. (laughs) with with all like the bad stuff. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to test fate. Right. But you know, you've met um, your quota. For sure. I'm just optimistic that you know, it's only up from here. And I'm just really thankful. And I think, you know, what you're doing with this podcast is really super cool. So I'm excited to listen to all the future episodes. And I'm just I'm really honored that you had me on here and I'm just thankful and and honored to share my story with you. Well, I wish you nothing but the best for always. And like I said, I love you so much and I am in awe of you and just everything you've overcome and what you're doing now with, you know, trying to help everybody else that may have gone through remotely a third of what you went through. Um, And I want to thank you so, so much for being on this and sharing your story so authentically and raw. Um, and I just want to thank you so much. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So thank you. And I love you too.
And if anybody has any questions, I'm going to be tagging her um, on social. You can also send emails um, through the website and I will pass them on to Lindsay. And until next time, bye-bye. Love you.